Compensation for Wrongful Conviction Article 14.6 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, ICPR, states that when a miscarriage of justice has occurred and the defendant's conviction has been reversed or they have been pardoned, the person who has suffered punishment as a result of such conviction shall be compensated according to law. The right to compensation is also authorized by Article 3 of Protocol No. 7 to the European Convention for the Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms and Article 10 of the American Convention on Human Rights. Four broad approaches allow for the payment of compensation following a miscarriage of justice, tort liability in common law, claims for a breach of constitutional or human rights, statutory relief where specific legislation exists to compensate individuals who are wrongfully convicted and non-statutory relief by way of ex-gratia schemes based on the largesse of the government. In a study of different approaches to the payment of compensation in the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, only the U.S. and the U.K. have statutory schemes in place. In the United States, the federal government, the District of Columbia, and 38 states have such legislation on their statutes. Twelve states have no laws requiring compensation to be paid. However, each state differs widely in regard to eligibility requirements, maximum payments, issues concerning factual innocence, the burden of proof, the behavior of the claimant which contributed to the, now overturned, conviction, and the claimant's prior criminal history. In some states, statutes of limitations also apply. The significant benefits of statutory schemes is that they provide money and services in compensation to individuals who have been wrongfully convicted without regard to fault or blame. They do not require claimants to prove how the prosecution or police committed their mistakes. Implications The concept of miscarriage of justice has important implications for standard of review, in that an appellate court will often only exercise its discretion to correct a plain error when a miscarriage of justice, or manifest injustice, would otherwise occur. In recent years, DNA evidence has been used to clear many people falsely convicted. The risk of miscarriages of justice is often cited as a cause to eliminate the death penalty. When condemned persons are executed before they are determined to have been wrongly convicted, the effect of that miscarriage of justice is irreversible. Wrongly executed people nevertheless occasionally receive posthumous pardons, which essentially void the conviction, or have their convictions quashed. Even when a wrongly convicted person is not executed, years in prison can have a substantial, irreversible effect on the person and their family. The risk of miscarriage of justice is therefore also an argument against long sentences, like a life sentence, and cruel prison conditions. Consequences Wrongful convictions appear at first to be rightful arrests and subsequent convictions, and also include a public statement about a particular crime having occurred, as well as a particular individual or individuals having committed that crime. If the conviction turns out to be a miscarriage of justice, then one or both of these statements is ultimately deemed to be false. In cases where a large-scale audience is unknowingly witness to a miscarriage of justice, the news-consuming public may develop false beliefs about the nature of crime itself. It may also cause the public to falsely believe that certain types of crime exist, or that certain types of people tend to commit these crimes, or that certain crimes are more commonly prevalent than they actually are. Thus, wrongful convictions can ultimately mold a society's popular beliefs about crime. Because our understanding of crime is socially constructed, it has been shaped by many factors other than its actual occurrence. Mass media may also be faulted for distorting the public perception of crime by overrepresenting certain races and genders as criminals and victims, 
and for highlighting more sensational and invigorating types of crimes as being more newsworthy. The way a media presents crime-related issues may have an influence not only on a society's fear of crime but also on its beliefs about the causes of criminal behavior and desirability of one or another approach to crime control. Ultimately, this may have a significant impact on critical public beliefs about emerging forms of crime such as cybercrime, global crime, and terrorism. Some wrongfully sanctioned people join organizations like the Innocence Project and Witness to Innocence to publicly share their stories, as a way to counteract these media distortions and to advocate for various types of criminal justice reform. There are unfavorable psychological effects to those who were wrongfully sanctioned, even in the absence of any public knowledge. In an experiment, participants significantly reduced their prosocial behavior after being wrongfully sanctioned. As a consequence there were negative effects for the entire group. The extent of wrongful sanctions varies between societies. When a crime occurs and the wrong person is convicted for it, the actual perpetrator goes free and often goes on to commit additional crimes, including hundreds of cases of violent crime. A 2019 study estimated that the wrong person wrongful convictions that occur annually may lead to more than 41,000 additional crimes. By country. United States. In June 2012, the National Registry of Exonerations, a joint project of the University of Michigan Law School and Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law, initially reported 873 individual exonerations in the U.S. from January 1989 through February 2012, the report called this number tiny in a country with 2.3 million people in prisons and jails, but asserted that there are far more false convictions than exonerations. By 2015, the number of individual exonerations was reported as 1,733, with 2015 having the highest annual number of exonerations since 1989. By 2019, the number had risen to 1,934 individuals. 20 individuals have been exonerated while on death row due to DNA evidence. According to a 2020 report by the National Registry of Exonerations, official misconduct contributed to 54% of all wrong convictions. The study only counted misconduct when it directly contributed to the convictions, such as the generation of false evidence or concealment of evidence of innocence. At least 21 states in the U.S. do not offer compensation for wrongful imprisonment. The Innocence Project works to exonerate people in the United States who have been wrongfully convicted of crime. It is estimated that 1% of all U.S. prisoners are innocent. With the number of incarcerated Americans being approximately 2.4 million, by that estimate as many as 20,000 people may be incarcerated as a result of wrongful conviction. Research into the issue of wrongful convictions has led to the use of methods to avoid wrongful convictions, such as double-blind eyewitness identification. Leading causes of wrongful convictions in the United States include snitches and unscientific forensics. Other causes include police and prosecutorial misconduct. African Americans make up 13.6% of the U.S. population, but 53% of exonerations, as of August 2022. Canada. A series of miscarriages of justice in Canada have led to reforms of the country's criminal justice system. In 1972, Donald Marshall Jr., a Micmac man, was wrongly convicted of murder. Marshall spent 11 years in jail before being acquitted in 1983. The case led to questions about the fairness of the Canadian justice system, especially given that Marshall was an Aboriginal, as the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation put it, the name Donald Marshall is almost synonymous with wrongful conviction and the fight for native justice in Canada. 
Marshall received a lifetime pension of $1.5 million in compensation and his conviction resulted in changes to the Canada Evidence Act so that any evidence obtained by the prosecution must be presented to the defense on disclosure. In 1992, Guy Paul Morin was convicted of the 1984 rape and murder of an eight-year-old girl and was sentenced to life imprisonment. In 1995, New testing of DNA evidence showed Morin could not have been the murderer, and the Ontario Court of Appeal overturned his conviction. The case has been described as a compendium of official error from inaccurate eyewitness testimony at police tunnel vision, to scientific bungling and the suppression of evidence. Morin received $1.25 million in compensation from the Ontario government. United Kingdom In the United Kingdom a jailed person, whose conviction is quashed, might be paid compensation for the time they were incarcerated. This is currently limited by statute to a maximum sum of £1 million for those who have been incarcerated for more than 10 years and £500,000 for any other cases, with deductions for the cost of food and prison cell during that time. See also overturned convictions in the United Kingdom. Richard Foster, the chairman of the Criminal Cases Review Commission, CCRC, reported in October 2018 that the single biggest cause of miscarriage of justice was the failure to disclose vital evidence. A major factor leading to the abolition of capital punishment for murder in the United Kingdom was the case of Timothy Evans, who was executed in 1950 after being wrongfully convicted of a murder that had in fact been committed by his neighbor. England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Until 2005, the parole system assumed all convicted persons were guilty, and poorly handled those who were not. To be paroled, a convicted person had to sign a document in which, among other things, they confessed to the crime for which they were convicted. Someone who refused to sign this declaration spent longer in jail than someone who signed it. Some wrongly convicted people, such as the Birmingham Six, were refused parole for this reason. In 2005 the system changed, and began to parole prisoners who never admitted guilt. English law has no official means of correcting a perverse verdict, conviction of a defendant on the basis of insufficient evidence. Appeals are based exclusively on new evidence or errors by the judge or prosecution, but not the defense or jury irregularities. A reversal occurred, however, in the 1930s when William Herbert Wallace was exonerated of the murder of his wife. There is no right to a trial without jury, except during the troubles in Northern Ireland or in the case where there is a significant risk of jury tampering, such as organized crime cases, when a judge or judges presided without a jury. During the early 1990s, a series of high-profile cases turned out to be miscarriages of justice. Many resulted from police fabricating evidence to convict people they thought were guilty, or simply to get a high conviction rate. The West Midlands Serious Crime Squad became notorious for such practices, and was disbanded in 1989. In 1997 the Criminal Cases Review Commission was established specifically to examine possible miscarriages of justice. However, it still requires either strong new evidence of innocence, or new proof of a legal error by the judge or prosecution. For example, merely insisting on one's innocence, asserting the jury made an error, or stating there was not enough evidence to prove guilt, is not enough. It is not possible to question the jury's decision or query on what matters it was based. The waiting list for cases to be considered for review is at least two years on average. In 2002, the Northern Ireland Court of Appeal made an exception to who could avail of the right to a fair trial in R. V. Walsh, if a defendant has been denied a fair trial it will almost be inevitable that the conviction will be regarded unsafe, the present case in our view constitutes an exception to the general rule, the conviction is to be regarded as safe, 
even if a breach of Article 6-1 were held to have occurred in the present case.